Welcome to Being Curious, the podcast series where science students interview professors to learn about their research, what they love about it, and how they got here. Join us as we listen to these curious minds share their enthusiasm and passion for their discipline, as well as their individual journeys towards discovery. It's, I think, profoundly influential on people's lives, whether you decide to pursue microbiology or not. Just the fact that microbiology touches every aspect of our lives, from deciding whether to vaccinate yourself or your children, being educated on how vaccines work and safety, and then being able to follow up with other literature on the internet, as well as making good food choices, because it's so exciting right now with understanding our microbiome composition in the gastrointestinal tract, how that can impact health and even things like tendencies to be obese or have type 2 diabetes or even autism, there's linked links. So we have an incredible ability to manipulate the bacteria in our guts by probiotics as well as different food choices. And so that's extremely powerful. I would say that it's the most exciting time to be a microbiologist as it ever has been with what we know, how much connection there is to the diet and with the microbiome. I think we've all known for a long time that diet is... I'm Har Jasmine. I am currently doing my master's in biochemistry in my second year of my science undergrad, I was one of the 200 students who took Microbio 1010 with Terry Dekevit, and I'm a professor and associate head of the graduate program in the Department of Microbiology. I think this is just a mind-blowing fact, is that plants will release about 30 to 40 percent of what we call photosynthate, but the carbon that they fixed from sunlight actually goes out to the roots and into the ground. That is energy that they could use to grow and make more flowers or make more leaves, but they don't. They release it into the ground, and the reason they do that is because they're trying to attract beneficial bacteria. They're really acting almost as a unified organism, and so there's no way that we can ever have just a chemical that we dump on the ground that's gonna have that same net effect. I really liked how well she explained the material and made time for her students. As a young scientist, I really wanted to learn more about her research, how she connects to graduate students, and how she balances life and work. So this fall, I had the chance to speak with her again. We met up in her office. Standard pesticides and fungicides can get into the waterways, into our food sources, and they can have harmful effects on what we call non-target organisms, so things that aren't fungi. Um, as well, we worry about human consumption. So in the lab, what is some of the research that is done? We have been working with bacteria that have the ability to inhibit fungi that attack important crops. 
in particular canola is the one that we're very interested in because of how important it is to the Canadian economy. We have been working with two types of bacteria that were isolated from Manitoba soils and they showed really great ability to inhibit the fungus growth on plates but we didn't know exactly what the compounds were that were inhibiting the growth or genes that were important, sort of a full understanding of what was going on. So we started in our lab by doing some genetic experiments. And so making mutants and screening to find ones that had an altered ability to inhibit the fungus. From there, we were able to deduce a lot of really exciting and interesting things, including some of the key products that were responsible for what we call biological control, which is essentially the process of inhibition. And how long have you approximately been working with a particular bacteria? About, uh, I would say, 16 years we've been oh, working wow. on this. Yeah. <laughs> so when we first started, I had a couple grad students and they made uh, 6,000 mutants and we screened every one of those mutants in an antifungal assay and compared it to the parent to see whether it had the same, less or more antifungal activity. And then any ones of interest, we went in and uh, sequenced where the mutation was and that formed the platform of all of the research that continued on. Interestingly enough too, the fungus grows differently at different temperatures and we were in the basement of Buller in 137. And so there were days in the summer when the temperature got too hot and the fungi grew so fast that there was no biological control and we would have you know 500 plates sitting on these racks that had to be thrown out and started again and the same thing we work with canola plants as well well ideally the canola actually reaches the six-week stage which is where we need to do our plant assays but we've had lots of other things happen in the interim including insect infestations that chew the daylights <laughs> out of it or just natural powder mildew which is a different type of fungus comes in and goes all through the greenhouse or the growth chambers and so all of the plants have to be destroyed. So it requires a great deal of patience when you're, again, working with these biological systems. But that's what happens in the field as well, too. So you need to prepare yourself that you need to start many, many rounds of experiments in order to get things So success. for the graduate students, when things like this happen, what is a way that you, your role in the sense of keeping them motivated, you know, when you have oh, I work so hard on doing these all these Absolutely. places, but they have to be thrown away. Yes. Well, it's very frustrating, so I try to be extremely sympathetic and commiserate with them and say, you know, this happens. It's extremely frustrating. There's no doubt about it. And often, in that type of thing, you know, people, it may be the breaking point that they realize that they don't want to have a long-term career in research, that they would rather do more things on the planning side or interfacing with government agencies and that because that frustration of tried and tried again and things not working either through some kind of natural event like that or perhaps you're trying to clone a gene and you've been doing it for three months and you just can't get it for some you know unknown reason it does take a lot of tenacity Uh, graduate chair so advising the grad students because 
we cover anything and everything. And so it's like, well, how do you balance career and family? Those are often mm-hmm. things that I think that women um, are more concerned with at this stage of the game, thinking about, you know, if I am interested in perhaps having a family, how am I going to manage everything? Because it's pretty daunting. So I'm very candid about my experiences with infertility and, you know, planning and life and all that stuff. And I think people respond to that. And I also like to share my experiences with, you know, the different lab environments and really to make sure that when they're moving to a new lab, that they get a sense of what they're going to. So to have, if they can, Skype interviews or email lab personnel in the lab they're going to, ask some very candid questions about the supervisor's expectations and try to determine ahead of time as much as you can whether you think it's going to be a good fit. Once you start reading and getting into your project and trying to figure out what's going on, it's so exciting no matter what the question you're trying to answer is. And so from that perspective, because you are going to have many, many, many days where things aren't successful, if you're in a lab that's cohesive and it's very supportive and you have a good interaction with your supervisor, it really helps you ride out those stormy periods. Whereas if it's a very high pressure cooker environment where there's a lot of um, competition within the lab and it doesn't match your expectations and your emotional and spiritual needs it's a long haul and we you don't make very much money as a grad student uh it's a lot of you know training really is what it is that you're getting from it so it needs to be a positive environment I really got that experience during my PhD versus my postdoc my postdoctoral research was considered much more interesting honestly than the, than the PhD research but the environment was completely different the PhD environment was much more positive very cohesive and it was that point that was really an aha moment for me that I realized that I love science but when it's in a positive environment and so I really try to try to translate that across to my group as well too we are all very supportive and respectful of one another because that helps to bolster you know your spirit when things aren't working or you're having a personal crisis or anything like that we need those supports in place because it's a it's a long haul one of your questions was about uh, what is one of the more joyful or rewarding things and with mentoring grad students, in particular PhD students, because they stay with you for a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. Often when they start, you're doing a lot of advising and helping them lay out what they're going to be doing, you know, daily, weekly, and that sort of thing. And then there's usually this transition point about midway through their degree when they get a fire in their belly and they're reading all the time and excited and they come in with their brand new ideas that are completely different than your own and they're amazing ideas and you can see that they're really launching into becoming independent scientists mm-hmm. and you know all come up with an idea and then the grad student I'll start saying I think we should do and they'll answer it for me before I even get into it because (laughs) we're thinking on the same level or they're coming up with their own ideas and then you really know that they're ready to kind of launch into an independent scientific career which is the idea of a PhD which is very very gratifying and it's exciting to see that happen you know you just it's this blossoming effect and so that's definitely one of the most rewarding things in terms of my personal mentoring within the lab when you see that happening and you think okay 
I probably did something right <laughs> along the way. It's kind of like raising your own children, right? Exactly. When you hit those little milestones and they yeah. finally pick the towel off the floor, the wet yeah. towel, which I'm still working on <laughs> with my son, or they take their dishes. It was so nice to talk with Terry again. I liked how Terry showed how valuable research in microbiology is, like how creating mutant bacteria, which produce specific molecules in a long trial and error process, can result in safer and cleaner ways to protect food crops. I also appreciated Terry's openness about her experience as a woman in science and how she balances her career with the rest of her life. I remember in my undergrad years questioning how to make it all work. And so hearing her share her personal experiences encouraged me to pursue graduate studies and take my own steps down the fascinating and surprising path of science. This podcast is made with the support of the University of Manitoba Faculty of Science, STEAM Lab, and the Center for Creative Writing and Oral Culture. Produced by Sima Goyal. Sound recording, production, and editing by Harjasmin Mander. And I'm your podcast host, Patrick Arevalo. Thank you to our students and professors who share their time and stories to help all of us stay curious. Thank you.